0: And we're going to be uh, picking up something that we've been working on through the last couple of weeks uh, from uh, Isaiah's prophecy, from Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to be picking up the last one of these words that you see floating around the wall. So we've we've started with uh, Wonderful Counselor. We had, uh, where's Mighty God? Mighty God is over there. Then we've got uh, Everlasting Father. And today, this one here, Prince of Peace been looking at that today. And a piece of something we really need at this time, I would think. I mean, if you look at the world, the world just seems like a mess. I mean, the evidence is there just in just a little screenshot of the last month or two. You've got the Israel-Hamas- a uh, war that just seems to uh, just to be escalating. You've got the ongoing uh, war between the Ukraine and Russia, and there's other spots all around the world where this is happening. Uh, here in Australia, we just had the the cyclone and the flooding in uh, Far North Queensland. And so we know the world's in a mess, we've got this international conflict, there's social injustice around the place, there's political corruption that seems to rise its head, domestic violence, uh, environmental strains and struggles and degra- degradation. And so if you put all those things together, you can say that uh, we live in a disaster zone, I mean, they, they've classified Far North Queensland as a disaster zone, as a zone and so relief and recovery goes into those areas. Well, if we see the world as in a disaster zone, we need that. We need, we need uh, someone to come in, someone to organise our, uh, our relief, our restoration. We need a saviour. We need someone who's going to bring us peace. And that's exactly what we find with the Christmas story. We've sung it in our songs. It comes up in the Bible readings. It's what we need. We we have a God who steps into our disaster zone, a God who has stepped into our world, a God who steps in with his rescue plan, his plan to, to clean up the mess. And we're told the good news of his coming. And as I said, it's really what we've been uh, looking at over, uh, from various angles over the past few weeks, digging into the titles of the Messiah that come from Isaiah 9, verse 6. And we're looking today, the Prince of Peace. And the question comes, well, what is peace? And why do we need it? Often we think of peace as uh, the cessation of hostilities or, or the end of war. And it's, it's not, in a sense, wrong for us to, to think of it in those terms when we think about the Prince of Peace who comes because Isaiah speaks about that uh, coming peace. There are other parts where he, he just talks about how everything is, is restored and balance is brought. So it's not wrong, but we also uh, know that, well, the Saviour has been born and yet we don't see it. We don't experience in its fullness. We don't live in that day quite Yet. And it's this tension between uh, what we have and the, the, what's to come, what they call the not yet. We're still waiting for it to be complete. Because as you read through, through the Bible, it becomes clear that the end of all this tension and hostility is not fully realised until Jesus returns, till the Prince of Peace comes back. But what about peace now? What about experiencing it now? To answer that question, we need to delve a little bit deeper into understanding the concept of peace, particularly as Isaiah puts it here uh, in his his prophecy. What sort of peace should we expect? What is Isaiah telling us about the peace that this baby brings? And so we need to to avoid making the mistake that it's just about the absence of conflict or hostility. Because it's not primarily what Isaiah has in mind. The peace that Jesus brings is objective, it's true, it's real, but it's a peace that had to be fought for. The peace that the Messiah, the Prince, brings is a peace that he fights for, that he wins. So it's a peace that that really flows in the wake of, of victory, Jesus wins, that's the message, the simple message. Jesus wins, he wins absolute victory and uh, flowing on from that is uh, the, the peace of victory, of triumph that, that flows into our lives and into the world. He engages in a real battle, he triumphs over it and he brings peace. And we'll look a little bit more about the battle a little bit later, but we're just picking up this idea uh, of peace that flows uh, out of victory, but what extent, to what extent of the peace that's spoken of here? The Hebrew word that we have translated peace is one I'm sure you've all heard, is shalom. And shalom carries the idea of, uh, of flourishing, of wholeness, of well-being. It's our peace in uh, the fullest sense of the word. It's not just the absence of conflict, the end of animosity, It's a full flourishing that uh, impacts every dimension of creation and uh, the the dimensions of all our relationships. It's a peace that comes from living under the grace of God. Neil Platinga, uh, uh, um, an author, writes this about Shalom. He says, it's the way things ought to be. It's the way things ought to be. And it, it drives us back to thinking about life in the Garden of Eden before the fall, or to think about the new heaven and the new earth that is coming. And in those places, things were the way they ought to be. But when we think of shalom and this full flourishing in every dimension of our life, it gets broken down into several dimensions. And the first is spiritually. Spiritually, shalom has to do with peace with God, a right relationship with God, Uh, A a peace that moves us so that we're now considered friends of God and no longer enemies. Spiritually, there's peace psychologically. Shalom is the wholeness and well-being of our souls, peace within ourselves. So rather than living under hearts, burdened with, with things like sin and stress and anxiety and guilt and fear, we're free and we're whole and at peace within our minds and hearts as socially. Socially it has to do uh, with right relationships with other people. Think of harmony in families or peace between communities, more broadly peace between races and ethnic groups, a peace between nations. A flourishing where, where people of diverse backgrounds can come together. And there's materially or physically, it's a, a peace in, in the whole created order, a peace in the world, a full restoration of all things. That's shalom. That's the broad understanding of shalom and peace. But you say, well, why do we need it? Well, the answer is obvious. Because what we currently experience at times feels like the exact opposite spiritually outside of Jesus Christ every human being is alienated from God considered an enemy of God under the judgment of God separated from God psychologically we know within our lives the the brokenness and division in our lives in our hearts we struggle with guilt and fear and anxiety and depression we wish for things to be better Socially our our world is, is marked by, by violence and injustice and oppression. Materially we see physical problems, disease, sickness, death. We we see a creation that, that groans under the weight of sin. Things like cyclones, floods, and fires that we experience here in Australia. So we stop and we say, Well, the world is a mess. We need a peacemaker. And it leads us to this Prince of Peace that Isaiah talks about. This Prince of Peace. Why is he called the Prince of Peace? Why is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Well, obviously, uh, peace ha- uh, is a royal term, it has to do with uh, connected to kingship. Yet, when we use the title for Jesus, it's more than just a way of showing respect for him, for recognizing his heritage uh, as, as a king. I was was thinking about that this week and I thought, well, Prince Harry still calls himself Prince Harry. But he's a prince through heritage, not through function. Perhaps not through character either, but we can have a discussion about that. But he's, he's taken on this title of prince, but he's not living out as a prince. So when we call Jesus a prince, we're talking about Uh, His authority, his executive authority. And that whole prophecy uh, in Isaiah talks about this Davidic king, one who will sit on David's throne forever. It's a promise of God this person will come, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And verse 6 again says, the government will be on his shoulders. It means he's going to wear this mantle of authority, he's going to have sovereignty, he's going to be the ruler. His shoulders. Uh, in a sense, carry the full weight of the authority of God as he governs the kingdom of God. He shoulders the burden of rule. He's born to be a king. And if you look back in in, uh, in the the prophecy in Isaiah, in verse 4, it talks about uh, the, the oppression that people are under that they've got this yoke or bar or rod of oppression. And it says there it's been lifted. It's been lifted. Been lifted by Jesus. He now shoulders that burden for us, the burden on our shoulders removed because of the Prince of Peace. And he gives us this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus takes the heaviness of our burden and gives us his gentle, uh, loving ways. And then in, in the prophecy, the greatness of this, his government, his rule will never end. What is the result of Jesus coming as our Prince of Peace, as the one who will rule and reign forever? What's the result? It's peace, justice, righteousness, as it says, from that time on. But how does he do it? How does Jesus lift our burdens as the Prince of Peace? When we think about Jesus... Everything about him, his his birth that we're we're thinking and celebrating today, his life, his ministry, his work on our behalf, his, his death on the cross is all for the sake of peace. It's all for restoring shalom to us. So just think for a minute about the life of Jesus beginning with his birth. Trevor read those words to us from Luke's Gospel. The angels declaring glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The birth of Jesus was for the glory of God, for the restoration of peace, for shalom. But Jesus also begins to fill it out, fill it out in uh, this prophecy in his life, the way that he lived. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he cast out demons, he forgave sins, he had command over, over nature begin to see what his rule and reign can do in his life, through his life as he walked here on earth. We see it in his death. What Isaiah writes is 700 years before that first Christmas, and God inspires Isaiah to tell us how he would do it, how, how God in Christ would do it. And uh, Isaiah's prophecy is filled with pointers to Jesus Christ. But we see it most vividly in what he's going to do in Isaiah 53. Where we read there, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. How does Jesus bring shalom? He brings it by, by losing himself, he brings it by suffering as our substitute, our representative, by bearing our sin on the cross. So that in his death, the price is paid. The price for, gaining, for us gaining peace was through his death. And so there is no peace without the cross. It's only through Jesus' death, the atonement there, that shalom can come to us, shalom can come to the world. Because Jesus is that solution. He's God's solution to the problem of sin and evil and brokenness. He's the way that peace comes into the world. He's the Prince of Peace. And so in that context, our our peace is first and foremost with God himself. That's the, the greatest conflict that needs to be resolved, the one between God and us. And so with the birth of Jesus, in essence, God is saving us from God. That's the heart of Christianity. God is saving us from... Uh, the justice and wrath that rightly is ours because of him, because of his holiness, because of uh, what he he has to do to deal with sin. So in that sense, God is inserting himself between us and God, a God-made peace. He did it because we couldn't do it. We can't make peace with God ourselves. We can't save ourselves. It's a God-made peace. And that's the the glory and the heart of Christianity, God coming in, substituting the Son of God to bear the judgment of God that belongs rightly to us. And through that, we can experience peace with God, a peace that comes by faith. Uh, Paul talks about it as justification by faith, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't earn that peace with God. We can't work for it. We can't be good enough to get it. But God in Christ at Christmas became a man to do it for us. So the question is, are you you at peace with God this morning? Do you know that your sins are forgiven because of the work of Christ? Because the Bible is really clear that the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He brings peace through his his birth, through his ministry, his death and his resurrection. And we await his return. Waiting for the day when Jesus comes back, when he brings uh, to fullness the peace that we so long for. In Revelation 21, 22, you get this picture of this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven uh, to earth and this river running through it and there's life and there's beauty and there's peace, a new heaven and a new earth. It's shalom. It's God's peace coming to earth once and for all. love the words of uh, Isaac Watts' uh, song that we often sing, A Christmas Joy to the World. He has this verse, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Drives out the curse, so there's no more thorns or sins or sorrows. That's what we're hoping for, this complete restoration of everything that has been marred by sin. And Jesus is that Prince of Peace. So he's the Prince of Peace, but how do we then respond? How do we live in this kingdom of peace? What does it mean for us? How do we live under the reign of Jesus as Prince of Peace? In Romans 14, Paul says that being in the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, so it's not necessarily just this physical aspect, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How do we live in the kingdom? Well, the first is, are you depending on Jesus and his death for your sins? uh, Are you trusting in his resurrection that brings you life, eternal life? Um, Are you justified by faith before God? Justified not because of what you've done, but what Jesus has done for you? Are you at peace with God? Have you experienced it? If you haven't, if you're investigating Christianity, if uh, for the first time or you uh, need to renew interest in the Christian faith, here's what you need to do. It's not just singing the Christmas carols, but it's thinking through the words that are sung at Christmas. It's looking to who this child is that's born, looking at the work of Jesus Christ, being united to him by faith, trusting in him. As you do that, you receive new life, you receive the Holy Spirit, you begin to live in a new way and you learn to, to live by faith. is not only what begins our Christian journey, but faith is how we continue to live the Christian life. We don't move from faith, but we learn to walk by faith day by day. Paul writes in Romans 15... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you filled with joy and peace? Trusting in God and in his his promises. And in Galatians 5 we read the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace and the rest. Where does the peace come from? Through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. It's encouraging because it doesn't mean it's, it's all dependent on my work, on my effort. I've got this resource that is, is, uh, is guiding me, directing me, empowering me. The Holy Spirit that floods our hearts and minds with the peace of God so we grow in love and joy and peace. And we do that by reading scripture, immersing ourselves in it and prayer. There's uh, the old hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So, most of what I've just described is this uh, this vertical peace with God and this internal peace within our hearts and lives. But there's this horizontal dimension as well. There's a call for us to be peacemakers. Pursuing reconciliation and peace and harmony. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul adds to that. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. So think about that in in the horizontal for a moment, about your own relationships. Is there brokenness? Is there someone you could be at peace with if you make the first move? Maybe it's a family member uh, that you're estranged from, uh, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a sibling. Maybe there's brokenness because of bitterness and hostility or just this... Are drifting apart. What if you become attempt to become the peacemaker? Make the first move, reach out. Take ownership of what you may have done that's wrong. Sought forgiveness without expectation from them and begin to live in peace there. Maybe it's within the church community. Maybe there's someone in the church, a fellow brother or sister. There's a brokenness there. How do you work to restore that? Think more broadly. Are you a peacemaker in the community around you, in in your neighbourhood, in the world? Are you caring for the world as, as God's good stewards of creation? Are you providing for the needs of others? The call is not just to have this vertical peace with God, but work at a horizontal peace with everything around us. Be a peacemaker what we do is we live under the reign of the prince of peace and we look to Jesus Christ the prince of peace Jesus gives us peace that the world never can Uh, the world as we've as we see is, is turmoil there's turmoil everywhere no matter what others promise no matter what the world promises there can be no peace because evil reigns until Jesus returns. And so looking for for peace and security in the world is is in many ways futile, even foolish. The only peace that steadies the soul, that enables us to, to handle life is the peace that comes through the Prince of Peace. Comes when we know that through him our sins are forgiven. And the promise is that when we look to Him, we'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding. So, are you walking with God in peace? Are you pursuing peace in your life? Are you at peace with God? Let's pray together. Lord, in a world where worry and not peace prevails, Pray that you stir us up again to hear and be refreshed and challenged and renewed by the good news of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, born on Christmas Day. Make it real in our hearts. Never have we needed your joy and peace more than we do now, so we thank you for the gift of Jesus, our Emmanuel, the Word made flesh. Forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for forgetting that your love never changes that you never abandon us, that you save us from our sinful condition, you give us eternal life, you give us the joy of restored relationships, all that through the birth and death of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news that it's possible for us to be reconciled to you, to live at peace with you, and with each other through Jesus Christ. Thank you for him. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to work at being peacemakers with family and friends and community and the world around us in whatever way we can, to your glory. Draw us close to you as we focus on Jesus. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.